value of placing the Word of God and us not preach from it. Come on, somebody, amen. You know, our hearts are, are traumatized from the events of um, Sutherland Springs, Texas, from last week. Everybody felt the reverberations of that and, uh, and the sorrow that has leapt upon our heart. But, you know, to honor the memory and to honor the faith of all those people, you know what we can do today? We can stand in this pulpit and pre- preach the Word of God, right? Because that's what they, lead, they lived and that's what they believed in, those that perished. And so, so what I'm saying is don't let anything, don't anything, uh, anything keep you from hearing God's Word today. I'm going to let these men finish. This is my uh, stall time. Because I want you to stand and honor the reading of the word here in just a minute. Larry, come by here and take my offering, if you would. Thank you so much. I want to ask you to stand up as they're finishing. We're going to go to God's word. We're going to read six verses of scripture from two separate passages. Going to set the context for what I believe um, uh, that God wants me to speak here today. It's found in Psalm 134. Psalm 134. It's three verses of scripture. And I just wanted the Lord, I want to ask him to write this on the tablet of your heart. I'm reading from the Living Bible today, the King James Version. Behold, bless the Lord, all ye servants of the Lord, which by night stand in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Come on, somebody. Amen. Look at that. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary. The Lord that made heaven and earth bless thee out of Zion. Don't forget that passage. Tuck it away in your spirit. Let's travel to a more familiar passage of Scripture. Let's see if we can somehow connect these thoughts here. It's in the Gospel of Matthew. It's recorded in the three synoptic Gospels. But John records it early in his Gospel. It may not be the same account, uh, but, it, uh, but it is still yet recorded by all the Gospels. And uh, in doing so, let's just read it. It's familiar to us. It's the end of Jesus' triumphal entry. It's the week of Passover He's made his way into Jerusalem. I'll highlight the uh, surrounding circumstances here in just a moment. But the 12th verse says, And Jesus went out into the temple of God, and he cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple. And he overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And he said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer. But ye have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And I want to take a moment, and I want to ask you to just think with me for a few moments along this line. It's a familiar subject matter, but it's something that's in my heart today. It's in JoJo's heart. It's in Shane's heart. It's through our own personal collaboration as we're searching for that perfect will of God for our fellowship. I want to talk to you about a house of prayer. A house of prayer. I think it's a, a subject that d- deserves our attention today. So let's pray. Father, we're grateful and we're humbled to be have been in your presence today and to be a part of the service at, at whatever level, from the time of worship to the meet and greet, the shaking of hands. God, to our time of prayer where we laid hands on uh, sick people, genuinely uh, in, infirmed that needed a healing, but God, we trust that Jehovah Rapha was present and healing virtue was poured out among us. God, we're grateful for having heard the testimonies of the impact of just a copy of the Word of God can make in the life of a family or an individual. But now, God, we want to turn our affection and our attention to the exhortation that is related to the reading of Scripture. God, we've read six verses audibly in the ears of the people, 
And it's showed with, uh, shown us a context that I believe demands our attention today. And I pray, I ask, I'm undeserving of help today, God, but I ask for your help right now to speak to the people. The people deserve a word. They need a word. God bless this time. It's in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You know, this passage of Scripture, it's been dialogued, and often our attention is drawn to it typically typically in the spring of the year as we as we as churches across the world began to kind of go through the process of remembering Jesus' suffering and his death passover week it's called his passion week began with the triumphal entry it's perplexing to the disciples the disciples were meaning the 12 i don't believe fully anticipated the crowd that would grow that day they began to swell around him from all walks of life they came. They began to do things that they didn't really anticipate. I'm speaking of the 12 again. The people began to cut palm branches and lay them on the ground in front of him. They began to take their garments off their shoulders and lay them on the ground in front of a, a small foal that he rode upon wherein never a man had ridden upon. And children began to sing, and all of a sudden the volume of the, of the procession grew great until it could be heard from as far as it could be seen. And they came to a part of the Mount of Olives in which they could see the city of Jerusalem. If you've never been to Israel, we learned some things in our journeys there um, several years ago. That city of Jerusalem is a city of seven hills. It sits kind of in a valley up on a plateau. Then you go into a valley and then up on a plateau, but surrounded by seven hills. And one of the most trodden paths was from the Mount of Olives. Because it's from there that you could see the temple in that particular area. It was um, the Kidron Valley that separated the Mount of Olives from the city of Jerusalem. It was, had been sung about in the Psalms, known as the ascent, because you would have to descend into the valley, and then you would ascend up to Jerusalem. They would sing often as they went. They had journeyed. Remember David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. On this particular day, there was a great excitement, but one was saddened. The writer of the lone uh, you know, animal, Jesus. He was saddened over the city. He was grieved. He wept. There's an edifice there called the Church of the Teardrop today to commemorate the possible place where Jesus stopped the procession. And from that backside of that animal upon which he rode, he, he wept at the city of Jerusalem. So he's, he's moved emotionally. It's a very emotional moment. He knows what's in front of him seven days from there. But the crowd does not. They've not seen anything like this since the days of David and Solomon. And when he makes his way up the Kidron, out of the Kidron Valley into the city of Jerusalem, the whole city is perplexed. As a matter of fact, the whole city then begins to ask, who is this? Who is this? And the word is passed, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth. Many believed that that was a triumphal procession that he would reclaim the throne of David that had been vacated for hundreds of years, but to fulfill the messianic promise. But Jesus then dismounts from the animal, and he goes to a familiar place, a place 
that he had been to many, many times, the temple, the center of Judaism, the center of Jewish worship of God, the center of sacrifice, the center of uh, worship and musicians and of great, great uh, fanfare, if you will. If we could only imagine what it would have looked like on a day when the crowds filled the sacred complex. Again, the hearts of all Jews anticipated being able to travel to Jerusalem to be able to worship. Again, Jesus had been there many, many times from his youth. As a matter of fact, it was a place of familiarity to so to the degree that when he was 12 years of age, and I know you remember this passage of Scripture, while he was just a little lad, he had gotten separated from Joseph and Mary, and Joseph and Mary had journeyed three days from Jerusalem only to discover that Jesus was no longer with them and had to go back and retrace and, and go around the city and search for him. And finally, in desperation, they went to the temple, and there they hear the sound of an adolescent speaking to the lawyers and the doctors and when they approach Jesus and his mother speaks a word of almost reproof to him, he said, woman, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? John would later write about Jesus that the zeal of his house, the zeal, the passion that he had for the temple of God and the people in the temple of God had eaten him up. And so in this passage of Scripture, when Jesus dismounts from the animal that he had ridden upon down into the valley and ascending up to Jerusalem, something shifts inside of him. From the sorrow that the crowd had witnessed on the Mount of Olives when he wept for the city to a frustration. And have you ever seen a face go from sorrowful to frustrated? And then in an exchange of both emotions and, uh, and feelings, he goes from frustrated to aggravated. And then some, something is happening. I mean, this is all good. I'm so grateful for Jesus today. You know why I'm so grateful? Because he was a man just like we are. Jojo quoted about, the Bible talks about Elijah, a man of like passions, but he was, Jesus was the son of God, yes, but he was also the son of man. And he carried the same emotions that you and I do inside of his human body. And, and, and so he's, he's being traumatized internally by what he sees and by what he hears. For gathered in the courts of the house of God is the exchanging of assets. And this exchange is odd because it's a necessary exchange, but it is so frustrating him that as he's watching it takes place, that frustration is giving way to aggravation, and that aggravation is about to burst over into anger. And what's, what is it that's taking place? Are they defiling the temple? Are they doing what had happened in the days of the kings of old? Have they erected an edifice or a pagan altar to a pagan deity in the temple? No. You know what they're doing? They're exchanging coins in the temple. And you say, Pastor, is that unlawful? It was not unlawful to do it. Because in order to pay the temple tax, you had to use a shekel, a Hebrew shekel. And if you lived outside of Jerusalem, you wouldn't, that would not be your currency. So if you're going to worship in accordance to their own laws, you had to exchange your currency in order to be able to provide your offering. 
Well, if you were there for Passover or wanted a feast, or even for the daily sin offering, or if you were going to make a vow, a free will offering, you may have not had an animal on your farm that you could buy. Maybe you weren't a farmer, and so you were going to make a free will offering, and you needed to buy an animal for sacrifice, such as a turtle dove or a pigeon or even a lamb or a goat or something of that nature. And so Jesus then sees all of this taking place and that frustration gives way to aggravation and then uh, anger erupts out of him and then Jesus, the one that the Bible says a bruised reed he would not break or a smoking flax he would not quench. The Jesus that we know about that the Bible says, he said this himself. I'm not saying this about Jesus. He said this about himself. He said, come unto me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He said, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He was meek and lowly. Again, he's been called a carpenter's son. But in that moment, this righteous indignation begins to burn within him, and he erupts in an explosion of frustration and aggravation. And Jesus, John records with a thrice braided cord, he goes through the area where the the money changers are exchanging their currency and where the farmers are, are selling their animals to the priests so that they might be sacrificed in the temple. And he begins to burst open the cages. He, be, he goes up to the money changers. Can you picture that in your mind? The Jesus that you think about that picked up little children. And laid his hands on them and blessed them. The Jesus that calmed the, 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 the waters as they raged. The Jesus that healed the sick and raised the dead. Now this Jesus, this Jesus is vindicating his own religious frustration over what's taking place in the temple. And he turns the tables over. Can you imagine the crowds? All the sudden, all that's come upon them. And then he told of the reason for his frustration. And sometimes I think if we're not careful, we look at what he did, but we don't pay attention to what he said. Because what he said is just as important as what he did. He turned the money changer's table over, yes. He burst the crates that housed the doves, and he freed the doves. He, uh, he, un, uh, he, he cut the cords that held the sheep and the lambs, and he let them go loose. Uh, uh, but he said this. He said, take these things out of here. Don't make my father's house a house of merchandise. Because he said this, and this is a revelation that we've got to catch here today. I hear it in my spirit this morning, is that we got to catch Jesus' words. Jesus said this about his father's house. He didn't say my father's house is a house of sacrifice. He didn't say my father's house is a house of preaching. He didn't say, my father's house is a house of praise. He didn't say, my father's house is a house of fellowship or communion or a place of instruction or a place where you dedicate your children. All those things were true, but that's not what he said his father. That must have been in the intent of God when he prophesied the nature and the purpose of the edifice that would be called the house of God. He said, my father's house should be called a house of prayer. A house of prayer for who? Not just for the Jews. But in quoting, Jesus is quoting the prophet Isaiah from the 56th chapter in our division of chapters and verses of the Old Covenant 
where Isaiah said and prophesied that there would come a day in which God's house would be made available to all men and women everywhere, where all men and women would have access to the covenant promises of God, where all men and women could come boldly into the throne room of grace and there obtain mercy and receive grace to help in time of need. Whether you were Jew or whether you were Gentile, Paul said the middle wall of partition, Paul was referring to the wall that separated the Jew and the Gentile in the courts of the temple of God. Paul metaphorically said God has tore it apart and now you and I have access to the holy presence of Almighty God. And Jesus was prophesying that there should come a collective moment in the life of the body of believers that believe in His name, the name of Yahweh, the name of God. That when we gather, our intent to gather is to commune, not with just each other. As a pastor, I love the sound of fellowship in this house. It's one of the most difficult things that I do when I have a moment like I did earlier when I have to disrupt the sound of your fellowship to ask you to find your seat. I love the sound of fellowship. I love when this person here goes all the way over here and reaches somebody over there. I does my heart. It's like I'm like a parent in that moment. You know how when you have multiple children, love to see your children do something nice for one of your other children. It makes your heart swell. When I see you go out of the way to, to communicate with and to converse with somebody that's out of your circle, I'm telling you, my heart swells in deep sense of appreciation because you're connecting this body. But let me tell you, greater than that sound, and I love the sound of praise in this house. I'm so grateful for our worship team. I'm so grateful that they, that they set their hearts to lead us into worship, that they don't try to entertain us, but they want to bring us into the presence of God. I love the sound of song, whether it's new song or old song, matters not. It's just the sound of the people of God worshiping. But you know the sound that needs to be heard in our generation in this time today, in the tumultuous days in which we live in today, it's the sound of urgency and prayer in the house of God. That, for whatever reason, has become the sound that is becoming almost muted. It's almost becoming muted in the body of Christ. Because when we come to church, we got to make it all about us. It's about what we can get from God. It's about what we can get from the experience rather than what can we give. And you say, Pastor, giving, I've gave in the offering. Giving in the offering is a good thing. You say, Pastor, I gave in my service to God. I served as an usher. I drove the van. I'm going to work in the nursery. What more do you want? Listen, I'm telling you, those are all valuable and viable things that we need in the kingdom of God. But you know the thing that will cause the effectiveness of that gospel being able to go around the world, and not only around the world, but right here in Heber Springs, is when there's a group of men and women that begin to add their collective voices. We begin to add our voice to your voice, and our voices collectively begin to resound in this house and we make this house more than just a house of preaching more than just a house of praise but we make this house a house of prayer where we began to I'm preaching a lot better than y'all shouting and I can already tell by your dumbfounded looks right now you're saying pastor I'm just not really there I know that's what's wrong with the church today we got time for everything else other than to make God's house a house of prayer 
I hate to tell you today, I hate to say this because I too would suffer reproof from the Lord. But if Jesus were to walk into this house today like he did 2,000 years ago, he would would point that same searing finger right at us and say, you have made this house a house of merchandise. You got time for everything else other than my Father's presence. You got time to do this and that. You got time to run to and fro in all the earth. You got time for ball games and you got time for bridal showers and you got time for all the things that you do in your life but you don't have time to kneel at an altar and call upon the name of God and we wonder we wonder where is the strange feeling of conviction that used to be in the church we wonder why we only read about miracles but we don't witness miracles we wonder because let me tell you church family without the fuel of prayer We don't have the heat of his presence. And so church family, I'm asking you today, I believe that God is calling our church. And it's a challenge for me. My carnal mind frustrates me at times. As a pastor, not only do I wanna teach it, some people do a great job of reaching people. That's not my greatest gift. My greatest gift is to teach people, to encourage people, to have a smile on my face so that when you come here to this house, I'm not going to beat you up or, uh, you know, or browbeat you, but to encourage you. It doesn't mean that I don't have reproof in my voice because I do at times. Of course, you can ask my children. I discipline with a smile on my face. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. I couldn't help it. I just laughed. I just, it wasn't that it was funny. I just, I smile. I'm sorry. I just smile. Awesome. I just smiled. I couldn't help it. But nonetheless, even in reproof today, church family, I feel the voice of the Holy Spirit because my, you know what? My carnal mind can get pulled aside and say, what's the use? You know, that's the trend of the church. You know, as a pastor, I want to lead us and I want to be found guilty of saying, you know what? I can't speak for the church on the hill. I can't speak for the churches on the bath pass or across the road, but I can speak for First Assembly. And I don't, it's not my job to cast their destiny. It's not my job to try to create their identity. It's not my job to criticize them when I don't think they measure up. Come on. But it's my job to challenge you to follow a vision that I believe God's given me. And I do believe that our church needs to be a church that prayer is not a place or, 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 or not a process that's foreign to us. That we have to see that there are times that you come to church just to pray. Let me say that again, just to pray. Let me, let me go back for just a moment. I, I'm deterring from my notes just a little bit. If you follow the, the course of, of church history, you'll find in, in church history there are seasons of identity to the church. And days gone by, preaching was such an identifying force in the church. I mean, there were preachers of old, uh, preachers of renown, preachers that today's preachers, man, we would dim in comparison. Uh, go back and read their sermons. I mean, it, they are so articulate. Uh, it's amazing the giftedness that many of them, they were so studious. Uh, they would, would study more in a week than some of us might study in a year to prepare one sermon. I heard when I first started preaching, one, one person was passing on and said, you'll prepare a sermon 40 hours. I don't prepare a sermon. for. I don't study 40 hours to preach one hour. I, I don't. 
I don't, I'm just, I'm not in that genre, that perhaps that generation, but those guys did. And then now we're in the generation of worship. There's been a transition, so it seems. And now when you think of churches today, many times you think more of the worship than you do of the preaching. I mean, when I say Hillsong, you're not thinking about the preacher, right? When I think of, say, Bethel, you're not thinking about the preacher. When I say Elevation Church, you might, might be thinking about, I don't know, but you're thinking about the worship, the worship. And so we have all this fantastic in churches and everything and tools and everything, and that's powerful, and I'm not trying to take away from it, and I'm so grateful for it, but I'm saying where are the people that can come to the house of God and say, you know what, God, I just came to stand in the gap. Did you hear what I'm saying? Do you even understand what that means? I just mean it to stand in the gap. What's that mean? I'm an intercessor. That means there's trauma in life, either in my family, my home, my world, my situation, my, my work, whatever. And there's a promise in God. There's a trauma around me, but there's a promise in God. And somebody's got to be a mediator. Somebody's got to be an intercessor. Somebody's got to reach one hand into God's hand and another into the trauma and by faith. Come on, somebody. Pull the two together. And I'm calling our church family. Don't give up on making God's house a house of prayer. Let's not lose our vision. Let's not lose our identity. Let's come to this house and let's trust the Lord to do great and mighty things. Let's come to this house and say, God, I came here today not to hear a good sermon, not even to sing a song, but I came, God, to lift my voice in supplication and in intercession. And because, God, I know you're looking for a man. And you're looking for a woman that'll stand in the gap and they'll make up the hedge. And so church family, let me take a moment to make it real personal and then I'm going to close real quickly. Out of frustration, out of frustration, my carnal mind wanted me to, and, and I wrestled with it, to dismiss the Sunday nights again. Or not to dismiss them, but to discard them. Out of lack of attendance. Not out of lack of value, but of lack of attendance. Because it, if you're not careful, it becomes demoralizing. Because you look around, look around today. There's far more bodies in seats than there are empty seats. But then we trudge in here on Sunday nights to do the work of intercession and prayer. It's real quiet in here now. And many times, there's no colorful look like I see when I look around here. There's only this side of beige looking back at me. But church family, I want to challenge you today. Look around at what's going on in our culture. Look at the moral decline of the United States. Look at the political tensions that, have, that are just mounting. Come on. Look at all the things. Many, every one of us have thought this is a delicate time. Something critical could happen. Let's, is that right? Right? I mean, let's just be honest. We, we all say that. Even if you don't watch all the newscasts, I understand. Matter of fact, I halfway encourage you. But, but, but you don't even have to be that common or that, 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 that almost zealous news watcher to at least be aware that this is a turbulent time, that something could happen and you could look up and you could have chaos begin to break out in the United States. Don't we need a church don't we need a church that says, God, I'm going to climb right in the middle of that mess in prayer. God, I'm going to stand up, God, and lift my voice up. 
I'm going to do more than criticize presidents and, 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 and the, the election process, but I'm going to pray about it. Come on, somebody. I'm going to do more than point my finger. I'm going to lift my hand upward, and I'm going to call upon the name of God. I'm going to stop talking about the decline of the church, and I'm going to do my part to make the church strong again. I get frustrated and aggravated when people talk about the decline of the church while they sit at home and they don't get involved. Listen, if you want to change things, then get involved. Get involved. Be a part of something for the common good. And there's no greater good than you can do than to make God's house a house of prayer. And so rather, Joe and I communed together this week, and rather than, and so we, we, we combated together the, 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 the carnality of my mind uh, to discard the service, and I said, God, rather than discard it, let's enhance it some. Let's encourage people to be involved, and let's enhance it, and let's not lose our value of it. And so this is what I've chosen to do because, listen, we have three services, three services that average about an hour and a half throughout the entirety of the week. That's four and a half hours collectively if you come to all of it. Now, maybe a little longer if you're here early for practice. But nonetheless, there are three services that we offer. And on Sunday mornings, just as the reality, it's, it's a praise and preaching moment. It is. I mean, and I, I value it and I thank God for it. Right? And then Wednesday nights, it's an instructional time. Hello? We believe in discipleship. Joe takes small groups. Children are in small groups. I've got a group in here with me. We're discipling, educated, asking questions, delving into the Word of God together, trying to grow in our faith. Then what's wrong with us? Designating one of the three services, one hour, calling it an hour of prayer, and saying, can you come out with us on a Sunday night at 5 o'clock and let's worship God through prayer? Mm, got real quiet in here, didn't it? Listen, I know I'm just trying to speak frank. I'm not trying to guilt you into anything. I'm not going to try to use the coercion of shame. I can do it, but I'd be wrong for doing it because if I did it, your response will be nothing but short-lived. You'll be here for two services until your team is playing on Sunday night. But if it becomes a conviction of the Holy Spirit where you see the value in adding your voice to the body of Christ in prayer, then it'll become a part of who you are, and then you'll become a part of who we are. So the way we're going to enhance it, and I'm getting ready to close today, is we're going to add a little bit of the worship component to it. There's nothing wrong with that just to stimulate spiritual songs in your heart and mind so that when you get ready to pray, you've already had time to flush out the old. Come on. And begin to worship God in spirit and in truth. Is that right? That's a good thing. Number two, we are going to add exhortation to it. We're going to ask somebody among us as a, as a communicator. I think JoJo does a fantastic job on Sunday mornings of exhorting and leading us in prayer. I thought that this morning when I was right there, I'm telling you, I just, I could, I didn't, it wasn't that he was praying here and I was praying there. I could add my voice to what, come on church, are y'all hearing me? I could add my voice to his voice and I could come together in agreement with him right there. That's a gift from God and we're going to add that exhortation. We're going to add a theme to it so that when you do break up in just a, your own personal prayer time, a little bit of theme. And I have a theme for tonight. You know what the theme is? We'd be calling it Veterans Day weekend. I think we ought to be praying for our military tonight. 
I'm going to wait on you because that's a poor response for what I just said. I think we ought to be praying for our military. You know, one of my strongest prayers that I pray on a regular basis is this right here. God, Paul said this. He said, pray that you might live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness. That's all I want to do. Is that right? Is that all you want to do? Well, you know what? There are people that don't want you to do that. They don't want you to live a quiet and peaceable life. And they want you to serve their communist government. Or they want you to serve Allah. Or they want you to bow uh, before an idol somewhere. But thank God that we've got American men and women that will defend freedoms. Is that right? That'll fight the cause of freedom around the world. There's nothing wrong with you and I coming here tonight. And saying, God, I'm going to pray for our men and women in uniform tonight. And for the veterans that served and for their families. And for those that are returning from war, scarred, tattered, and torn. That God would heal the hurt of their heart. Amen? Just like we've got some among us here today. And then lastly, at the time when we, after a time of intercession, and let me say this, I'm not asking you to intercede for an hour on Sunday nights. I know most people are not tempered to interceding. But around 645, after we've been in prayer and after worship, we're going to come together right here at this altar. And we're going to ask God to stir up prophetic gifts among us. And if you have a personal need in your life, then we'll be right there to lay hands on you and pray for you. And we're going to ask God to stir up spiritual gifts among us. How many know that's a good thing? That's a good thing. That's a good thing. And I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. And I got to close for the sake of time today. And this is not a message trying to reach the lost. This is not a message that is, uh, you know, you're a newcomer here today. And I, I listen, we didn't give you a coffee cup in the foyer. Nobody's going to ring your doorbell and bring you a bag of cookies. What we're going to tell you is we're going to be a church that believes in the power of prayer. We believe in the impact of preaching. We believe in worship. You want to be a part of us? Come on, hang out with us. Right? Because that's what we did last week. That's what we're going to do today. And that's what we're going to do next week. Glory to God. Because we believe those are the principles that many stray from. But we believe they're the things and the foundation upon which we have to see the house of God built. In that passage of Scripture, note this. The 14th verse of, the, of that chapter that we read about. It says that the lame and the blind came to Jesus. Where? In the temple. And he healed them. I wonder... I wonder if we make prayer a priority. Will we begin to see the lame and the blind coming to Jesus in the house of God and he healing them? Come on, somebody. Amen. Won't y'all stand up today? And we're going to pray in closing today. And I'm going to read this psalm one more time. Why did I add the psalm, the psalm that would connect to Matthew's gospel? Why would I read that and add it to it and say, Pastor, are you trying to criticize me for not coming? Absolutely not. I don't try to dictate your schedule. I understand there's a thousand valid reasons why sometimes people cannot come and many that are aged simply cannot come or drive at night. I understand all those things. My job is to lead people to things that I value. What I believe the scriptures are exhorting us to participate because of what it adds to our lives. Psalm 134 said, you read it too fast, and I want to read it slowly as we close. He said, behold, bless the Lord, all ye servants of the Lord, which by night, did y'all see it? Which by night stand in the house of the Lord. So the psalmist is prophetically speaking a prayer of blessing upon those which come to the house of God. Remember in the temple there was a morning sacrifice? 
but there was also an evening sacrifice. He said, by night you stand in the house of the Lord. Look at this, second verse. Let's read it together in closing. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. That's all I'm asking for people to do. Let's practice it right now so we get ready to go and to leave. Let's just do it right now. Why don't you lift up your hands in the sanctuary and just bless him. Just thank him right now and say, God, I love you today and I'm so grateful. I'm just grateful that you kept us, God. I'm grateful for your love and your compassion. Go ahead and watch your practice. That's what you can then do later. God, we practice prayer right now, God. And we speak it over our families. And God, we thank you, Lord. So we lift up our hands, God. Father, we remind ourselves that Paul said, I would that men, mankind, pray everywhere with holy hands lifted high. So God, tonight... When we, God, add a new emphasis, Father, a renewed purpose and passion behind our prayer emphasis on Sunday nights, the third verse, God, this is what I speak over them. May the Lord, may the Lord, may the Lord that made heaven and earth bless you out of Zion as you stand by night in the house of the Lord and you bless the Lord. I speak prophetically over you. May God reward you for what you do in private. May God reward you openly. And may we see the fruit of your labor borne out every day and especially as we come together. God, I pray over my church family. God, as their pastor, I close this time of preaching with a charge and a challenge to our church family. Re-examine your commitment. Re-examine your purpose And re-examine what you believe is the intent of coming to the house of God. God, I pray over each one today. And I speak not this word to condemn them. I speak this word to encourage them. The mysteries of God are waiting for us, God. As we go through the doorway of prayer. The blessings of heaven are waiting to be poured out upon us, God. As we petition you for them by night. In the house of the Lord. God, I trust that the people that were intended to hear this message have heard it today. I can't determine the fruit of this service. I only preach it, God. I leave the fruit and the effects of this word to you. God, I pray let it be measured out in the days, the weeks, and the months ahead. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And all God's children said, Amen.